volume one chapters eight and nine of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain eight have the high gods anything left to give mr penwin set down his guests at the chandler's door and drove home to the waterfowl in solitary state the chariot in which he sat seeming a great deal too big for one medium-sized young man his ample meal on the course made dinner an impossibility so he ordered a cup of coffee to be taken to him in the garden and went out to smoke a cigar on his favourite bench by the willow the waterfowl was too far off the beaten tracks for any of the race people to come there so james had the garden all to himself even this evening the sun was setting beyond the bend of the river just where the shining water seemed to lose itself in a rushy basin the ruddy light shone on the windows of the town till they looked like fiery eyes gleaming through the grey evening mist while above the level landscape and the low irregular town rose the dusky bulk of the cathedral dwarfing the distant hills and standing darkly out against that changeful sky james penwin was in a meditative mood and contemplated the landscape dreamily as he smoked an excellent cigar with epicurean slowness letting pleasure last as long as it would not that his soul was interpenetrated by the subtle beauties of the scene he only thought that it was rather jolly that solemn stillness after the riot of the racecourse that lonely landscape after the movement of the crowd only last night had justina and he stood side by side in the moonlight only last night had their hands met for the first time and yet she seemed a part of his life indispensable to his happiness is it love he asked himself first love i didn't think it was in me to be such a spoon he was at the age when that idea of spooniness is to the last degree humiliating he had prided himself upon his manliness thought that he had exhausted the well-spring of sentiment in those passing flirtations the transitory loves of an undergraduate he had talked big about marrying by and by for money and position to add new lustre to the house of penwin to carry some heiress's arms on his shield upon an escutcheon of pretence was it really love love for a foolish girl of seventeen with sky-blue eyes and a look of adoration when she raised them ever so fearfully to his face justina had a pensiveness that charmed him more than other women's gaiety and till now sprightliness had been his highest quality in woman a girl who would light his cigar for him and take three or four puffs daintily before she handed him the weed a girl who was quick at retort and could chaff him this girl essayed not repartee this girl was fresh and simple as wordsworth's ideal woman and he loved her for the first time in his glad young life his heart throbbed with the love that is so near akin to pain i'll marry her he said to himself she shall be mistress of penwin manor the sun went down and left the landscape gloomy james penwin rose from the bench with a faint shiver these early summer evenings are chilly he thought as he walked back to the house he felt lonely somehow in spite of his fair new hope it was so strange to him not to have clissold at his side to reprove or warn but at worst the voice was a friendly one the silence of this garden the dusky gloom on yonder river the solemn gloom of the cathedral chilled him the great clock boomed eight and reminded him that the play had begun half an hour it would be a relief to find himself in the lighted playhouse among those rollicking actors he went down to the theatre and made his way straight to the green room there was a good house 
a great house mr elgood told james and the commonwealth's shares were already above par everybody was in high spirits and most people's breath was slightly flavoured with beer we have been turning away money at the gallery door said mr dempson who was dressed for moses i should think to the tune of seventeen shillings this is the right sort of thing sir it reminds me of my poor old governor's time when the drama was respected in the land and all the gentry within a twenty-mile radius used to come to his benefit justina was the maria of this piece dressed in an ancient white satin or rather an ancient satin which had once been white but which by long service and frequent cleaning had mellowed to a pleasing canary colour she had some airy puffings of muslin about her and wore a black sash in memory of her departed parents and her plenteous brown hair fell over her neck and shoulders in innocent ringlets justina had never looked prettier than she looked to-night she even had a round of applause when she made her curtsy to sir peter the actors told her that she was growing a deuced fine girl after all and that one of these days she would learn how to act was it the new joy in her soul that embellished and exalted her james thought her lovely as he stood at the wing and talked to her miss vilroy who was esteemed a beauty by her friends seemed to this uninitiated youth a painted sepulchre for she had whitened her complexion to match her powdered wig and accentuated her eyebrows and eyelids with indian ink and picked out her lips with a rose-pink saucer and incardined her cheekbones by which artistic efforts she had attained that kind of beauty to which distance lends enchantment but which seen too near is apt to repel miss vilroy had the house with her however she had the audience altogether with her as lady teasel and being a virtuous matron cared not to court james penwin's admiration indeed she was very glad to see that the foolish young man was taken with poor judy mrs dempson told her husband for poor dear judy wasn't everybody's money and about the worst actress the footlights ever shone upon mr elgood being in high spirits and feeling himself flush of money his share in to-night's receipts could hardly be less than fifteen shillings was moved to an act of hospitality i'll tell you what i'll do mr penwin he said the treating shan't be all on your side though you're a rich young swell and we are poor beggars of actors come home with us to-night after the last piece and i'll give you a lobster judy knows how to make a salad and if you can drink bitter you shall have enough to swim in mr penwin expressed his ability to drink bitter beer which he infinitely preferred to champagne but what would he not have drunk for the pleasure of being in justina's society it's a poor place to ask you to come to said mr elgood dempson and i go shares in the sitting-room and we don't keep it altogether as tidy as we might the womankind say but i'll take care the lobster's a good one for i'll go out and pick it myself i don't play in the last piece luckily the afterpiece was a roland for an oliver in which justina enacted a walking lady who had very little to do so there was plenty of time for james to talk to her as she stood at the wing where they were quite alone and had nobody to overhear them except a passing scene-shifter now and then this seemed to james penwin the happiest night he had ever spent in his life though he was inhaling dust and escaped gas all the time it seemed a night that flew by on golden wings he thought he must have been dreaming when the curtain fell and the lights went out and people told him it was midnight he waited amidst darkness and chaos while justina ran away to change her stage dress for the garments of common life she was not long absent and they went out together arm in arm 
it was only a little way from the theatre to the actor's lodgings so james persuaded her to walk round by the cathedral just to see how it looked in the moonlight your father's at half-past twelve for supper you know he pleaded and it's only just the quarter the big bell chimed at the instant in confirmation of this statement and justina who could not for her life have said no assented hesitatingly the cathedral had a colossal grandeur seen from so near every finial and water-spout clearly defined in the moonlight justina looked up at it with reverent eyes isn't it grand she whispered one could fancy that god inhabits it if i were an ignorant creature from some savage land and nobody told me it was a church i think i should know that it was god's house should you said james lightly i think i should as soon take it for a corn exchange or a wild beast show oh you see i have no instinctive sense of the fitness of things you would just suit clissold he has all those queer fancies i've seen him stand and talk to himself like a lunatic sometimes among the lakes and mountains what you call the artistic faculty i suppose they walked around the cathedral square arm in arm justina charmed to silence by the solemn splendour of the scene all was quiet at this end of the city up at the subscription rooms there might be riot and confusion but here in this ancient square among these old gabled houses almost coeval with the cathedral silence reigned supreme justina james began presently you told me yesterday that you didn't care about being an actress i told you that i hated it answered the girl candidly i suppose i should like it better if i were a favourite like vilroy i prefer your acting to miss vilroy's ever so much you do it rather too quietly perhaps but that's better than yelling as she does i'm glad you like me best said justina softly but then you're not the british public yes i hate theatres i should like to live in a little cottage deep 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 down in the country where there were woods and fields and a shining blue river i could keep chickens and live upon the money i got by the new-laid eggs don't you think it would be better to have a nice large house with gardens and orchards and a park in a wild hilly country beside the atlantic ocean what should i do with a big house and how should i earn money to pay for it she asked laughing suppose someone else were to find the money someone who has plenty and only wants the girl he loves to share it with him justina you and i met yesterday for the first time but you are the only girl i ever loved and i love you with all my heart it may seem sudden but it's as true as that i live and speak to you to-night sudden echoed justina it seems like a dream but you mustn't speak of it any more i won't believe a word you say i won't listen to a word it can't be true let's go home immediately hark there's the half-hour take me home please mr penwin not till you have answered me one question no no yes justina i must be answered i have made up my mind and i want to know yours do you think you care for me just a little i won't answer it is all more foolish than a dream it is the sweetest dream that ever was dreamed by me obstinate lips cannot i make them speak no then the eyes shall tell me what i want to know look up justina just one little look and then we'll go home the heavy lids were lifted slowly shyly 
and the young lover looked into the depths of those dark eyes a girl's first purest love that love which is so near religion shone there like a star james penwin needed no other answer you shall never act again unless you like darling he said i'll speak to your father to-night and we'll be married as soon as the business can be done when you leave eversham it shall be as mistress of penwin manor there is not a soul belonging to me who has the faintest right to question what i do and it is my duty to marry young the penwin race has been sorely dwindling of late if i were to die unmarried my estate would go to my cousin a fellow i don't care two straws about perhaps this was said more to himself than to justina she understood nothing about estates and heirships she to whom property was an unknown quantity she only knew that life seemed changed to a delicious dream the hard workaday world which had not been too kind to her had melted away and left her in paradise her hand trembled beneath the touch of her lover as he clasped it close upon his arm they walked slowly through the silent shadowy street so narrow that the moonlight hardly reached it and went in by the shop door which had been left ajar in a friendly way for their reception what a time you've been judy cried mr elgood standing before the table stirring a bowl of green stuff with various cruets at his elbow i've had to make the salad myself sit down and make yourself at home penwin Dempson, draw the cork of that bitter the right thing nowadays is to pour it into a jug when i was a young man we couldn't have too much froth mrs Dempson had smartened her usual toilette with a bow or two and a black lace veil which she wore gracefully festooned about her head to conceal the curl papers in which she had endued her tresses for to-morrow evening's performance she would be too tired to curl her hair by the time they got rid of this foolish young man the supper was even gayer than the luncheon on the racecourse there was a large dish of cold corned beef ready sliced from the cook's shop a cucumber a couple of lobsters and a bowl of salad crisp and oily upon which mr elgood prided himself there are not many things that this child can do he remarked but he flatters himself he can dress a salad the ale being infinitely better of its kind than the champagne provided by the waterfowl proved more exhilarating james penwin's spirits rose to their highest point he invited everybody to penwin manor promised miss vailroy a season's hunting mr Dempson any amount of sport they would all go down to cornwall together and have a jolly time of it not a word did he say about his intended marriage even though elated by beer he felt a restraining delicacy which kept him silent on this one subject justina was the quietest of the party she sat by her father's side looking her prettiest with eyes that joy had glorified and a delicate bloom upon her cheeks she neither ate nor drank but listened to her lover's careless rattle and felt more and more that life was like a dream how handsome he was how good how brave how brilliant her simplicity accepted the young man's undergraduate jocosity for wit of the purest water she laughed her gay young laugh at his jokes if you could laugh like that on the stage judy you'd make as good a comedy actress as mrs jordan said her father as if any one could laugh naturally to a cue cried justina they sat late almost as late as they had sat on the previous night and when james rose at last to take his leave 
urged thereto by the unquiet slumbers of vilroy who had fallen asleep in an uncomfortable position on the rickety old sofa and whose snores were too loud to be agreeable mr elgood had arrived at that condition of mind in which life wears its rosiest hue he was anxious to see his guest home but this favour james declined it's an commonly bad row urged the heavy father you'd bearer let me see a home cut throw row which james interpreted to mean a cut-throat road don't like it to go lone justina watched her father with a troubled look it was hard that he should show himself thus degraded just now when but for this life would be all sweetness james smiled at her reassuringly undisturbed by the thought that such a man might be an undesirable father-in-law he pushed his entertainer back into his seat talk about seeing me home he said laughing why it isn't half an hour's walk good-night mr dempson i'm afraid i've kept your wife up too late after her exertions and lady teasel will you open the door for me justina justina went down the narrow crooked staircase with him one of those staircases of the good old times better suited to a belfry tower than a dwelling-house they went into the dark little shop together and just at the door amidst odours of irish butter and dutch cheese scotch herrings and spanish onions james took his betrothed into his arms and kissed her fondly proudly as if he had won a princess for his helpmeet remember darling you are to be my wife if i had a hundred relations to bully me they wouldn't make me change my mind but i've no one to call me to account and you are the girl of my choice i haven't been able to speak to your father to-night but i'll talk to him to-morrow morning and settle everything good-night and god bless you my own dear love one more kiss and he was gone she stood on the doorstep watching him as he walked up the narrow street the moon was gone and only a few stars shone dimly behind the drifting clouds the night wind came coldly up from the waterside yonder and made her shiver a man crossed the street and walked briskly past her going in the same direction as james fenwyn she noticed absently enough that he wore a heavy overcoat and muffler for defence against that chill night air no doubt but more clothing than people generally wear in the early days of june nine other sins only speak murder shrieks out very radiant were justina's dreams during the brief hours that remained to her for slumber after that bohemian supper-party dreams of her sweet new life in which all things were bright and strange she was with her lover in a garden the dream garden which those sleepers know who have seen but little of earthly gardens a garden where there were marble terraces and statues and fountains and a placid lake lying in a valley of bloom a vision made up of faint memories of pictures she had seen or poems she had read they were together and happy in the noonday sunshine and then the dream changed they were together in the moonlight again not outside the cathedral but in the long solemn nave she could see the distant altar gleaming faintly in the silver light while a solemn strain of music like the muffled chanting of a choir rolled along the echoing arches overhead then the silvery light faded the music changed to a harsh dirge-like cry and she woke to hear the raindrops pattering against her little dormer window justina's room was the worst of the three bedchambers and in the garret story and a shrill-voiced hawker bawling watercresses along the street she had the feeling of having overslept herself 
and not being provided with a watch had no power to ascertain the fact but was fain to dress as quickly as she could trusting to the cathedral clock to inform her of the hour to be late for rehearsal involved a good deal of snubbing from the higher powers even in a commonwealth the stage manager retained his authority and knew how to make himself disagreeable life seemed all reality again this morning as justina plaited her hair before the shabby little mirror and looked out at the dull grey sky the wet sloppy streets the general aspect of poverty and damp which pervaded the prospect she had need to ask herself if yesterday and the night before had not been all dreaming she the chosen bride of a rich young squire the mistress of penwin manor it was surely too fond a fancy she whose shabby weather-stained undergarments the green stuff-gown of two winters ago converted into a petticoat last year and worn threadbare the corset which a nursemaid might have despised lay yonder on the dilapidated rush-bottomed chair like the dull reality of cinderella's rags after the fairy ball had melted into air she hurried on her clothes more ashamed of their shabbiness than she had ever felt yet and ran down to the sitting-room which smelt of stale lobster and tobacco the windows not having been opened on account of the rain breakfast was laid a sloppy cup and saucer the dorsal bone of a haddock on a greasy plate indicated that some one had breakfasted the cathedral clock chimed eleven justina's rehearsal only began at half-past she had time to take her breakfast comfortably if she liked her first act was to open the window and let in the air and the rain anything was better than stale lobster then she looked into the teapot and wondered who had breakfasted and if her father were up then she poured out a cup of tea and sipped it slowly wondering if james penwin would come to the theatre while she was rehearsing he had asked her the hour of the rehearsal she thought she would see him there most likely and the dream would begin again a jug of wild flowers stood on the table by the window the flowers she had gathered two days ago before she had seen him they were a little faded wild flowers drooped so early but in no wise dead and yet a passion had been born and attained its majority since those field flowers were plucked could she believe in it could she trust in it her heart sank at the thought that her lover was trifling with her that there was nothing but foolishness in this first love dream her father had not yet left his room justina saw his one presentable pair of boots waiting for him outside his door as she went by on her way downstairs she found mr and mrs dempson at rehearsal both with a faded and washed-out appearance as if the excitement of the previous day had taken all the colour out of them the rehearsal went forward in a straggling way that good house of last night seemed to have demoralised the commonwealth or perhaps the scene of dissipation going on out of doors the races and the holiday-makers and bustle of the town may have had a disturbing influence the stage manager lost his temper and said business was business and he didn't want the burlesque to be a munge a word borrowed from some unknown tongue which evidently made an impression upon the actors justina had been in the theatre for a little more than an hour when mr elgood burst suddenly into the green room pale as a sheet of letter-paper and wearing his hat anyhow has anybody heard of it he asked looking round at the assembly mrs dempson was sitting in a corner covering a satin shoe justina stood by the window studying her part in the burlesque mr dempson with three or four kindred spirits was smoking on some stone steps just outside the green room everybody looked round at this sudden appeal wondering at the actor's scared expression of countenance why what's up mate asked mr dempson is the cathedral on fire 
bear up under the affliction i dare say it's insured nobody has heard then heard what of the murder what murder who's murdered cried every one at once except justina her thoughts were slower than the rest perhaps she stood looking at her father fixed as a marble that poor young fellow that good-hearted young fellow who stood treat yesterday did you ever know such a blackguard thing dents shot from behind a hedge on the road between lowgate and the waterfowl only found this morning between five and six by some labourers going to their work dead and cold shot through the heart he's lying at the lowgate arms just inside the archway and there's to be a coroner's inquest at two o'clock this afternoon great heaven how awful cried dempson what was the motive robbery i suppose so it was thought at first for his pockets were empty turned inside out but the police searched the ditch for the weapon which they didn't find but found his watch and purse and pocket-book half an hour ago buried in the mud as if they had been rammed down with a stick so there must have been revenge at the bottom of the business unless it was that the fellows who did it i dare say there was more than one took the alarm and hid the plunder with the intention of fishing it up again on the quiet afterwards it looks more like that said mr dempson the haymakers are beginning to be about a bad lot any scoundrel can use a scythe don't cry old woman this to his wife who was sobbing hysterically over the satin shoe he was a nice young fellow and we're all very sorry for him but crying won't bring him back such a happy day as we had with him sobbed the leading lady i never enjoyed myself so much and to think that he should be murdered it's too dreadful nobody noticed justina till the thin straight figure suddenly swayed like a slender sapling in a high wind when matthew elgood darted forward and caught her in his arms just as she was falling her face lay on his shoulder white and set i'm blessed if she hasn't fainted cried her father poor judy i forgot that he was rather sweet upon her you didn't ought to have blurted it out like that exclaimed mrs dempson more sympathetic than grammatical run and get a glass of water dempson don't you fuss with her to the father i'll bring her to and take her home and get her to lie down a bit she shan't go on with rehearsal whatever pycroft says pycroft was the stage manager she'll be all right at night justina after having water splashed over her poor pale face recovered consciousness stared with a blank awful look at her father and the rest and then went home to her lodgings meekly leaning on mrs dempson's arm a bleak awakening from her dream yes it was all true the gay light-hearted lad the prosperous lord of penwin manor had been taken away from the fair fresh world from the life which for his unsated spirit meant happiness slain by a secret assassin's hand he lay in the darkened club-room of the lowgate arms awaiting the inquest the eversham police were hard at work but not alone the case was felt to be an important one a gentleman of property was not to be murdered with impunity had the victim been some agricultural labourer slain in a drunken fray some turnpike man murdered for plunder the eversham constabulary would have felt itself able to cope with the difficulties of the case but this was a darker business 
a crime which was likely to be heard of throughout the length and breadth of the land and the eversham constable felt that the eyes of europe were upon him he knew that his own men were slow and blundering and doubtful of their power to get at the bottom of the mystery telegraphed to spinnersbury for a couple of skilled detectives who came swift as an express train could carry them business is business said the eversham constable whatever reward may be offered by and by there's a hundred already by our own magistrates we work together as between man and man and share it honourably that's understood replied the gentleman from spinnersbury the chief centre of that northern district and affairs being thus established on an agreeable footing the skilled detectives went to work the watch and purse had been found by the local police before the arrival of these spinnersbury men the purse was empty so it still remained an open question whether plunder had not been the motive the man who took the money might have been afraid to take the watch as a compromising bit of property likely to bring him into trouble higlet one of the spinnersbury men went straight to the waterfowl to hunt up the surroundings of the dead man smelt his companion remained in ebersham where he made a round of the low-class public-houses with a view of discovering what doubtful characters had been hanging about the town during the last day or two a race-meeting is an occasion when doubtful characters are apt to be abundant yet it seemed a curious thing that mr penwin whom nobody supposed to be a winner of money should have been waylaid on his return from the town rather than one of those numerous gentlemen who had gone home from the rooms that night with full pockets and wine-bemused heads mr higlet found the waterfowl people as communicative as he could desire they had done nothing but talk about the murder all the morning with a ghoulish gusto and could talk of nothing else from them mr higlet heard a good deal that set his sapient mind working in what he considered a happy direction smelt may do all he can in the town he thought but i'm not sorry i came here the landlady who was dolefully loquacious took mr higlet aside having ascertained that he was a detective officer from spinnersbury and informed him that there were circumstances about the case she didn't like not that she wished to throw out anything against anybody and it would weigh heavy on her mind if she suspected them that were innocent still thought was free and she had her thoughts pressed home by the detective she went a little further and said she didn't like the look of things about mr clissold who is mr clissold asked higlet mr penwin's friend they came here together three days ago and seemed as comfortable as possible together like brothers and they went out fishing together the day before yesterday and then in the evening they brought home some of the play-actors to supper the best of everything and going up to bed they had high words me and my good man heard them for the loud talking wakened us and it was all along of some girl and they were both very much excited and mr penwin banged his door that violent as to shake the house being an old house as you may see a girl said mr higlet that sometimes means mischief but there's not much in a few high words between two young gentlemen after supper even if it's about a girl they were all right and friendly again next morning i suppose i dare say they would have been replied the hostess only mr glissold went out early next morning with his fishing-rod leaving a bit of a note for mr penwin and didn't come back till twelve o'clock to-day curious said mr higlet that's what struck me mr penwin expected him back yesterday evening and left word to say where he'd gone if his friend came in of course mr clissold was awfully shocked when he came in to-day and heard of the murder i don't think i ever saw a man turn so white but it did strike me as strange that he should be out all night just that very night 
did he tell you where he had been no he went out of the house again directly with the police he was going to telegraph to mr penwin's lawyer and some of his relations i think ready to make himself useful muttered mr higlet i should like to have a look round these gentlemen's rooms being duly armed with authority this privilege was allowed mr higlet he examined bedchambers and sitting-room looked at the few and simple belongings of the travellers who were naturally not encumbered with much luggage finding little to employ him here mr higlet took a snack of lunch in the public parlour heard the gossip of the loungers at the bar through the half-open door meditated smoked a pipe and went out into the high road he met smelt who seemed dispirited nothing turned up asked higlet less than half nothing how's yourself well i think i'm on the right lay but it's rather dark at present they went back to the inn together conferring in half whispers a quarter of an hour later maurice clissold returned from his mission he looked pale and wearied and hardly saw the two men whom he passed in the porch he had scarcely entered the house when these two men came close up to him one on each side i arrest you on suspicion of being concerned in the murder of james penwin said higlet and bear in mind that anything you say now will be used against you by and by remarked smelt End of Volume 1, Chapters 8 and 9